Hey, y'all. In today's throwback episode, we are going to bring you an interview that we did with Allison Alsina. Um, those of you who know about OMA know that Allison is a friend of the office. They've been a frequent collaborator, facilitated a few different trainings and workshops for some of our students over the last few years. Um, and they also used to serve as a program coordinator for our Sankofa Living Learning Community. This is from an interview that we did with Allison like a while ago. Um, but we thought just with everything going on, it'd be good to revisit and to repost it. So we are doing that. Uh, and this interview, Allison's going to talk a little bit about themselves, their work with college students, and just give some really great advice. We're going to jump right into this thing. There are definitely a lot of gems in here. So listen up. If you like it, share it with a friend, share it with two friends, and make sure that you subscribe um, and enjoy. My name is Allison Alcina. Allison, if you could tell us a little about yourself. Um, so I usually am not very good at questions like this that ask me to like summarize myself. I feel like most people are like that though. Um, but my name is Allison Alcina. Um, I am from Spring Valley, New York, which is very, very important to me. Um, I currently work as a human trafficking case manager at Arboys in Asheville. Um, and before that, I was over at UNCA. Um, and when I'm not at work, I am usually goofing off with my fiance, um, screaming at our very misbehaved pets, um, on the phone with one of my many siblings, <laughs> um, or on Instagram probably. Oh, and writing, that's important. <laughs> I write. Where can they find you on Instagram? Do you want to put that information I mean, on the streets? I, I don't make it hard to find because my Instagram handle is at Allison Alcina, and so is my blog, so follow me there. <laughs> um, how did you get to Asheville? How did I get to Asheville? Um, so I moved to Asheville after getting a job, uh, my first job out of college. Um, I what was it? April of my senior year, I applied for a job having never heard of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I've been to Greensboro every summer as a kid, but I had no idea where Asheville even was on a map. Um, and I saw a job that was really appealing, and so I applied for it. Um, I must have done pretty good because I got it, and so I moved here, never had been here, didn't know anybody from here, absolutely no knowledge of it. What was your impression of Asheville, and what is your impression of Asheville now? So my first impression of Asheville was having moved from New York and then gone to college right outside of Philly, Asheville felt to me like the gentrified parts of those cities, but like if you like expanded them into being its own place. Um, I had a hard time at first understanding the hype around Asheville, like why people made it seem to be this very like liberal, progressive, radical place, when to me it was not, like I still felt very, I still felt very much like an outsider here, and especially moving here as a black person from the Northeast, I was like, oh, y'all are hyping this up a lot. Um, 
after being here for over a year, almost a year and a half, um, my sense of Asheville, now that I like know more of the history, I know people here, I've been working in various different capacities here, is that some of the best parts of Asheville, not even some of the best parts of Asheville are the ones that are tucked away. Um, there's a really strong and very vibrant black community here. Um, and being able to be a part of that in whatever form has been really exciting to me. And also understanding that it's hard to compare places to New York City, unless you're comp comparing like mega cities. Um, so it wasn't, I don't know how fair of a critique I had at first, um, having not known the context of North Carolina or the South. Um, I have a better sense now of like what Asheville actually represents, but that being said, I think people still get very caught up in this idea that like Asheville can do no wrong and have no discrimination here or um, people are like in disbelief at the sort of prejudice that lives here as if Asheville is like exempt. Um, and it's not just because Asheville's in the South, it's because Asheville's in America. So um, I definitely think I needed to move here to get a better sense of myself and just the world that I live in. Did you find it, at least at first, difficult to separate UNCA from Asheville? Um, I think that, I think that in some ways I did, but also I didn't. And what I mean by that is that I came here as part of a social justice fellowship. So I was working full time but 30 hours a week I was on campus and the other 10 hours a week was fellowship programming. And the fellowship was really intentional about connecting us to black and brown leaders in Asheville, getting us connected with different community orgs. And just the fellowship model allowed for me to see different parts of the city beyond the university. Um, so I do think that I think that UNCA is in some ways reflective of Asheville, but not entirely. Um, I think that in spending more and more time off campus, um, going to different community events and such, that gave me a better sense of Asheville. But that being said, um, you know, as one person that works here told me, UNCA looks a lot like downtown. Um, and most of the people that go to UNCA aren't from Asheville. Most of the people that are downtown are from Asheville. And it still contrib contributes to the sense of the city. Um, but I do think, I do think that there are differences. Part of the reason I ask that is because I think for a lot of people, especially like younger professionals, when they move to an area or they move, especially in higher ed at least, mm -hmm. or not just in higher ed, just period, the city becomes the place they work. And so mm -hmm. their way of looking at the city is almost through the lens of the place that they work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, like, I think the longer you're in a place, sometimes the more you can see those distinctions. Right. And part of it has to do with being able to, like, establish roots or connections or find other stuff. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, especially for young professionals, it's like, 
I look at the city through the lens of the place that I work. Right. I think for me, like I said, that fellowship model really contributed to, there were a lot of times where my frustrations with Asheville were in tandem with my frustrations with UNCA and UNCA wasn't all bad. <laughs> I don't want to make it seem that way. Um, but there were times that I felt myself doing that and not giving Asheville enough credit. Um, my sense of, all, of Asheville being distinguished from UNCA is also influenced by the fact that um, some of the fellows were from Asheville and so I got a sense, like in a professional way, I got a sense of the city from people that had lived and worked here. Um, and also my partner is born and raised in Asheville and so we, when I first got here, we're having a lot of conversations. Once I first got here and we met and started dating, we had a lot of conversations about the version of Asheville that I existed in as a young professional, as a young college graduate versus his experience um, as somebody that was born and raised here and left. And when he came back, it was a completely different place. So I think that also helped me see Asheville in a much more robust way is also to know that it's not static. It's not like it's been like this for the last, you know, 30 or even 10 or even five years. Um, but there are a lot of different factors as to why Asheville looks the way it does right now. And also that makes me realize, okay, it might change too. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned a little bit before, um, you know, that you were doing social justice work. Like how did you, how'd you get into doing social justice work? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, so I work at Our Voice, which is Buncombe County's Rape Crisis Center, um, and Our Voice provides a couple different resources to survivors of sexual assault. Um, so that includes a 24-hour crisis line, um, case management, and counseling for folks that need it. Um, and so my job specifically is on the human trafficking team. Um, the intention of having a separate human trafficking team is that occasionally the needs for trafficking survivors are very different from sexual assault survivors. One way of thinking about it is that trafficking is kind of, the needs are kind of a combination of both domestic violence and sexual assault in terms of the crisis level there. Um, so the Human trafficking team at Our Voice is also a part of a six-county rapid response team. We don't just focus on Buncombe County for those survivors that like it's actually not safe for them to be here. Um, specifically, I do the case management. So again, that's kind of doing that emergency case management, offering people resources. So food, clothing, um, bus tickets, like cell phones, helping people get a hold of their personal documents again, like all of these very seemingly basic needs that we have, helping folks uh, towards a path of, uh, I don't want to say the word recovery, but um, all of those things helping folks towards a path of healing and moving on, whatever that looks like for them. Um, in addition to doing that hands-on case management with clients, I also do outreach to vulnerable populations. 
um, populations of folks that are more susceptible to trafficking, be it um, queer youth, migrant workers, um, uh, undocumented folks, just in general, folks who are kind of in a more vulnerable position. Um, so my job is kind of two-pronged in that case management and also the outreach work as well. And um, I also do some sexual assault case management too. Cool. Um, how important was it for you or was it important for you to find work that was grounded in some kind of, you know, degree of social justice? I think it was not just important, but was a necessity because if not, I probably would lose my mind at my job. Um, I wouldn't want to attach myself to something that I completely didn't believe in. Um, and so in wanting to do social justice work, I don't, I don't know if I was thinking about it in that lens so much as like, what are things that I would feel satisfied with myself in doing and knowing that I made a difference in doing. Um, and, and I say that to say that like, some corporate jobs are social justice jobs or um, service industry jobs can be social justice jobs. Like it's not to say that you need to work at like a liberal nonprofit to do social justice work. Um, in my case, that's been true. <laughs> um, but it was an absolute necessity to me just because I, for as long as I can remember, I've wanted my job to be helping people when I was 10 or even when I was applying and getting rejected from colleges. That wasn't specific enough, but I didn't know exactly how that would look. I just knew it was important to me to be helping people somehow. Um, and so, yeah, I, it didn't even cross my mind to do something else. When would you say that it dawned on you like, oh, Oh shit, I can get paid for this. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll start with college. Um, when I was in college, I had a research fellowship. And so most of my undergraduate career, I thought I was going to be a professor. Um, and in really learning the ropes of academia and faculty, um, you know, not only was I producing research projects, but again, I was learning like, this is how you get tenure. This is why it's difficult for people like you, all this different stuff. And so in that fellowship, it was really important to me to not get so caught up with all of the different ways that academia is exclusionary, whether that was like, if I'm a professor, what do I represent to people that might be sitting in my class? and also the research that I was doing. And so when I was in college, I studied children's literature by marginalized authors. And my thought was like, all right, I'm going to see what we tell little kids that they are capable of. And how does that differ based on what the kids in the drawings look like? And so for me, I wasn't necessarily thinking of that as social justice at the time. But um, more and more in that fellowship, I had this, this schism, if that's a word, um, 
this fissure between academia and activism and like how do you put those two things together at the time I didn't know how now I see that um so my first way of understanding that was understanding how you can get paid for social justice work was through the lens of academia um once I realized I couldn't handle school anymore my head was gonna explode I needed to take a break um I still, I was relying on like what I had been researching and keeping that same focus. Um, and that led me to the fellowship that I had, which was still teaching diversity and the history of marginalized people to kids. Um, and so in thinking of getting paid to do this work, it, again, in, in line with like, it was a necessity. It wasn't like a job for me. It was a life mission um you know I felt like okay if this is what I'm good at this is what my skill set is I'll find something and whether it's a perfect fit or I need to kind of shake things up I guess one way or another I'm going to do this kind of work that I care about cool <laughs> I don't want to sound so pessimistic <laughs> It's your voice. <laughs> I know, also, it's because I wanted to. Um, I mean, you touched on it, like, a little bit, kind of even talking about just, like, the college environment, but, like, um, what has been your experience? What has been your experience working with college students, and what has your experience been like working with college students? Wait, how are those different questions? What is your experience working with college students, and what has your experience been like working with college students? Okay. Um, honestly, well, as honestly as <laughs> you want to be on, you know, the internet. Working with college students was honestly a very eye-opening experience, and I think that I needed to do it at the exact time that I did, because I went from being in high school, picturing myself in college and how I was going to have all these cool sweatshirts and seem really smart and have all these cool glasses to then being in college and like being exhausted all the time to then working with college students. And so I only had maybe a summer between graduating college and then working on a campus. Um, and in that summer, I guess, like, and then coming on campus as staff, it made me realize how much I was different than my students um, and how being in college is a very specific experience. And what I mean by that is like, I went from my biggest concern being like, I have a 12 page paper due in three days and I haven't started it. And it does, it feels like somebody else's fault why I haven't started it to then being like, all right, my rent is due and I get paid on a specific day, how, how does this work? How do I budget? Stuff like that. So being, I think in my first couple of months of working with college students, because I was fresh out of school, I was very much like, I miss those being my problems. Like I miss my problem being, I don't like my roommate. Or, um, I don't know how to send an email. I don't know how to talk to professors. 
Um, but it definitely was exciting. It was definitely exciting. And I say eye-opening because, like, the students I worked with were awesome. Like, they had so many different ideas about everything and the changes that they wanted to make. And it very much made me wonder. I think just being in a people-centered job, again, I don't know that that's exclusive to a college campus, but in being in a people-centered job and working, like, one-on-one -on -one so much, it really clarifies for you what you're like and makes you value other people's strengths. Um, so I think working... Working with college students definitely had its highs and lows. Um, so working at a college made me realize how difficult it was. Like I knew this at the time, but I wasn't able to just like sit and ruminate on it because I had to survive. But working at a college made me realize how difficult it was being a non-white student at a white school. And I gave myself a lot of credit for that and then more importantly, so much more credit to all the people that held me down while I was in college. Um, and it definitely made me want to be that for my students, um, to both embody, like, you don't die once you graduate, which I think <laughs> at least I felt, and I think a lot of people feel like that too. Um, and that you're also not the first person to experience a lot of the things that you go through. and. It sounds tough, it feels tough to say and to be on the receiving end of like other people have been through this, but for me that was important to show like the world is not going to end with every microaggression or the world is not going to end when you turn a paper in late and this is not the rest of your life. This is in fact a very small sliver of your life, like in being out of college for almost two years. I'm just amazed that I spent four years in college because my priorities are just so incredibly different and... Ooh. <laughs> it makes me think back on myself and just be like, oh, what were you upset about? I have a, uh, a follow-up question. <laughs> um, so, so, like, you know, like, there's a... There's a sorry, I'm... Um, there's a clarity that you have now and a realization that you have now where you can go and you can look back on 18-year-old, 20-year-old, 22-year-old. Like, you can look back at Allison at different different stages. Right. Um, and I would imagine that to some degree you can see yourself in some of the students that you work with. Yeah. Uh, or that you work with. Um, what is it that you can say to them about this that they would actually listen to or that you could have said to yourself right the dilemma is right. I think you have this age and this wisdom right what does it say like youth is wasted on the young <laughs> like <laughs> you have this age and this wisdom right you could go back Ebenezer Scrooge style and you could go, go back in time and try to tell Allison such and such but that Allison might not listen. So what is it that, so that's kind of the dilemma, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, the reason why I'm laughing so much is because if I could go back in time and talk to myself and tell myself to shut up. <laughs> like, and I, I'm like halfway serious because I think that when I was in school, 
it felt like everything was so monumental, monumentous, one of those is a word, one of those isn't, but it felt like everything was such a big problem every time something came up that that I look back on it now and laugh because again it's like that conundrum where it's like I needed to feel like I was in panic mode for four years so that now when stuff happens like oh we forgot to pay the light bill <laughs> that it's just like oh whatever like there's gonna be another side to this um but I would definitely so it's like it's this catch-22 of like, I'm glad that that happened. And at the same time, I was being so ridiculous. Um, I think also that being said, I had a lot personally that was going on in college between like just personal relationships. Um, two of my really close relatives were uh, ill when I was in college, like just there was a lot swirling around me that I, from my own doing and my family's doing, I was just like, okay, well, I'm just at school. And like being, it wasn't until my senior year that I realized getting an A on a paper is not equally as important as like going home when my dad has a biopsy sort of things. And while I was in school and everything seemed so heightened that I didn't have the ability to actually parse out what was and wasn't deserving of that adrenaline. Um, so I would, I would, t I think like I'm grateful to myself that now I can kind of, I'm not a mellow person at all. Like I wouldn't even pretend, but I've mellowed out a lot considering, um, since college, I'm not like a cold chihuahua anymore, just constantly like shaking. Um, I also would, I would tell myself to focus on myself. And that's something that I really wanted to emphasize to my students as well. Um, so much so that I, after a while, I don't think it was just a projection anymore. It was like real life, like people hate giving advice. And I've started to hate giving advice, but like in conversations, one thing that I would tell my students a lot is like, mind your damn business. Like if it does feel like the world is falling apart, why does it matter who went home with who after a party? Or like, I don't know, just so much stuff that it's like, I don't care. And not like me listening to them I don't care but rather it's like you could be putting that energy elsewhere like don't come into my office and tell me that such and such did this with who but then in the same breath tell me you're about to fail a class that's silly like there's other words besides silly that that is <laughs> so um definitely I would tell us like it sounds harsh to say like shut up and mind your business but like for me personally, I definitely needed to like refocus my priorities a lot of the time um, and just really also really remember why I was in school because um, there were different times where I would ebb and flow between really grateful for being a student and then also like take it for granted a lot. Um, so yeah, and also I guess the last thing that I would tell students is uh, it ends. 
unless you do want to perpetually be a college student, which some people do. Like some people like doing two years places and then transferring. But um, uh, yeah, it it ends like everything seems like a crisis and it's horrible and all this different stuff. But then you graduate and then you wake up the next day with no homework and you're just like, what am I supposed to do with my time? <laughs> um.